Welcome to The Interop. Today, my guest is Magnus Marinek, co-founder at Skip. He's back on the podcast for a third time, now talking about Slinky. It's the first restaked Oracle aggregator built for purpose markets and DeFi protocols. Today, we'll be talking about Slinky's architecture and how it enables chains to leverage their validator sets to run highly secure and aligned price feed oracles. We'll discuss other possible use cases for Slinky, like interoperability and mesh security. We'll discuss the benefits to DeFi protocol security and revisit the Levana attack and how Slinky scales. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks the current Oracle market is broken. Before we get started, be sure to subscribe to get notified when new episodes drop every week. And remember, none of what we discuss here on The Interop is investment advice. If you enjoy this content, stake with us. We're validating on Avmos, Quicksilver, and Osmosis. Just look for Interop in the active set. My guest, Magmar, is coming up next, right here on The Interop. He is co-founder at Skip. Uh, we're getting him back on to talk about Slinky, which is this exciting new idea that has kind of been hinted for a while. I think when you were last on the podcast in September to talk about um, the uh, Block SDK, you know, you, you hinted at this idea of being able to run oracles on chain. And honestly, it's a pretty exciting idea. And it's uh, something I've been thinking about a lot since you mentioned it. So today I'm getting you back on to dive into the details of Slinky, what it enables for chains in the cosmos and how it improves you know, the usability of applications, but also you know, reduces um, some pretty significant attack vectors um, in DeFi. So thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks. Seth. Excited to chat. So maybe just before we get started, uh, you were last on in September, so that was you know about five months ago. What has been the major developments over at Skip since then, and you know, how many chains are now using uh, the Block SDK and Skip's API? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, things have been exciting since we last chatted. Um, obviously, Cosmos is in a very different place since September. I think we were still in the depths of you know, the bear market and we didn't really see a way out back then. I think since then, you know, things have gone up in the ecosystem and also we've, uh, we've had a lot of validation for our initial investment in sticking with Cosmos since the very beginning. Um, so in terms of just sort of what our product suite is and how it's developed, we mostly focus on two products now. So obviously the Skip API, which is this, uh, you know, cross-chain routing service that builds on top of multiple different bridges now, but especially IBC and uh, Slinky, which is this Oracle we'll chat about today. Block SDK is something we still maintain. It's a piece of open source software. Uh, we are now, it's, it's very complicated software just because it's sort of very involved in this uh, sequencing layer on APCI++. But the first two chains that we'll be adopting it are going to be Osmosis and Neutron. Um, those integrations are like right around the corner and that's going to be the first sort of like real live use cases of those things. It's also on some chains that are about to launch. Uh, so Initia will go live with the block SDK. We're still working on getting it into Barachain and a couple other folks. Uh, they have some complications with their whole EVM system. But we basically want the block SDK to be something that's there for, let's call it like 
chains that really require very custom functionality for their sequencing um, and something that you know will we'll support uh, as as those chains go live. But for the API, it's been you know it's been put in almost you know every major front end that that we've seen. Uh, Kepler is now using it to power all their swaps. If you've ever used that, obviously it's behind ibc.fun if you've ever tried that out before. And yeah. uh, now it's integrated into osmosis, it's being integrated into Dimension. Um, we have a very big roadmap around how we're sort of executing the go-to-market for that in Celestia more generally. And yeah, we expect to see it sort of pop up in other places. Cool, that's exciting. Well, I mean, uh, judging by um, how um, people are reacting on Twitter to, you know, this, uh, this slinky announcement. I think people are generally bullish about it. So I'm excited to chat about it today. So you, you guys announced this about a week ago in a Twitter uh, post, and then there was a, a really long and interesting uh, forum post over on the skip forum uh, came out a couple of days ago. We'll link to those in the show notes. So what is a restaked Oracle aggregator? Um, how does this work? And what does it provide to change that use it? Yeah, so Slinky is, from our understanding, one of the first major like production use cases of restaking, or at least a very intentional use case of restaking, um, and not an accidental one. Uh, and the, the, the way that it uses restaking is to do exactly what you said, which is sort of aggregate not only just one price feed, but aggregate multiple different oracles or, or price feeds for a chain. So... The idea there basically is that we leverage 100% of the existing stake of a network, which means you know you have let's call it you know 10 million dollars that is actually securing the network. We rehypothecate that or reuse that to also secure the Oracle operation in a way that ties consensus and correct Oracle operation together atomically, which means you can't have liveness without correct Oracle operation, and you can't have correct correct Oracle operation without liveness. They're one and the same, which is very different from existing Oracles today. So for example, if you use Pith or Chainlink or pretty much any other Oracle on the market, those are separate chains that are running and operating. And the only way that you get that data into your chain is via some kind of transaction. Sometimes that process fails, right? Sometimes those transactions don't make it over for whatever reason. And we'll probably ch uh, chat more about that with the Lavana attack. Um, but in those situations, the chain keeps on moving, right? And so all the DeFi protocols that were expecting that update, you know, now have to sort of continue to execute even without it. And that's sort of where all the Oracle hacks and attacks happen. And so Slinky doesn't have that. It has a guaranteed per block price update. Um, and it is, you know, a lot faster and a lot more secure and a lot more dependable than something that's based on an external model or an external chain and relies upon the relaying of those transactions coming over. Um, it's an Oracle aggregator because, you know, basically what it does is it uses the native validator set of the chain to pull in prices from an arbitrary number of sources. So right now we have 20 different price providers. So basically that's like, you know, Coinbase, CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, all the way to Uniswap, Osmosis, and a bunch of other DEXs as well. So you can sort of arbitrarily add these in, um, and then you aggregate across all of those. So when, when people generally think of restaking, you know, I think what comes to most people's minds, and certainly mine, is 
is this idea of being able to use security to secure the state of another chain. So like Eigenlayer is, um, is one example where we use ETH to uh, re-hypothecated ETH to secure other chains. And so therefore we have all the economic security of Ethereum backing the state of another chain. Um, the Cosmos hub and replicated security is another example. And here we're leveraging restaking essentially for for security and for the, the sort of security of the state of that chain. Now, when you're talking mm -hmm. about restaking here, it's it's another use case, so, right? So we're using security to, we're using the security and the stake of the chain to provide an accurate price feed. So we're leveraging the security of the chain uh, to provide that, that price feed to the application. Is, is that, so basically what you're saying here is that Slinky is, is innovating with a new use case for restaking. So it's not the restaking that we've sort of like known for and has existed in this narrative for a while. It's like a new use case for, for restaking, which is providing price feed data. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's an important clarification there, which is an eigenlayer, right? What you're secured by is restaked ETH. You're not secured by Ethereum, right? Like Ethereum is not going to slash all of its stakers if some user of eigenlayer does something bad. Only the restaked ETH on eigenlayer's ABSs will be slashed. So I think as of now, that's about $2 billion, but it's you know a very far cry from the, whatever it is, 200 plus billion dollar market cap of Ethereum itself. So basically eigenlayer is a protocol, you know, it has some amount of money in it, and that is what is securing uh, you know, all the different use cases on top of it. So in the case of Slinky, we use 100% of the native stake, right? So let's say you're, let's say you're like Osmosis. Uh, you know, I forget exactly what the Osmosis market cap is right now. I think it's about $1.6 billion. You're leveraging all $1.6 billion across all of the validators to secure your Oracle operation and any other kind of restaking service you build on top of that stake. Right? And so now you're deciding between, okay, well, do I use the native stake that I have, the native security, which is $1.6 billion, or do I use Eigenlayer's $2 billion, right? Those are pretty close, right? Like that's not an order of magnitude different, except in one case, I have to do a lot more work and I have to pay a lot more with parties that I don't understand on the restaking side versus folks that I obviously know very well, my own validator set using my own security that I already pay for via inflation, right? Which is just native to the chain. So the other thing to realize, I think just on that is you can't get better than the like own security of your chain when it comes to Oracle operation, right? So think about it this way. Let's say I have a billion dollars of security on my chain. If two thirds of that is compromised, right? So whatever, 666 million, 0.666, blah, blah, blah. Um, that means my chain is Byzantine, right? Like I can't, uh, I can't do anything anymore because like two thirds of the state can decide to do whatever they want. They could execute completely incorrect state transitions. They could trade wallets. They could just make osmosis, whatever they want and hard fork and have the canonical chain. In that case, it's not really relevant for the Oracle operation, which will also be malfunctioning, that you have like restake on another platform because your own platform is compromised, right? So basically we tie the Oracle to the same assumptions, the same Byzantine assumptions as the chain itself. 
meaning you need the same amount of stake to be compromised to take down the Oracle that you do to completely take down the chain itself when you have obviously bigger problems than just Oracle malfunction. So basically we wanted it to be like the, the same security properties as the chain itself. Like it's atomic with like the correct operation. Okay, so, so here we're using the validator set to, uh, to essentially, we're essentially leveraging the validator set to provide uh, some data to the application. And so the validators are, uh, are slashable based on the information that they provide. So it could be price feed data, it could be data about transactions happening on another chain, it could be data, um, it could be just like any, any data source essentially that the validators bring to the, to the table. They, they, they submit that data to the block, they become slashable on that data. And so therefore there's an incentive for the data to be accurate, correct, you know, available, et cetera. That's right. Yeah. So there's not only just a disincentive, right? Which would be some kind of slashing mechanism, but there's also an incentive. So the way that, uh, to, to post the correct data. So the way that we've structured that is like truly like a, you know, a restaking application. Um, there is some kind of reward when there's correct operation and there's some kind of disincentive when there isn't. But I think like one of the interesting things about this is, you know, this isn't a fully arbitrary separate process, right? That is completely separate from chain operation where validators are just, you know, randomly posting data to the network. It's fundamentally tied into consensus itself. And so what I mean by that is we use ABCI++ and we use a bunch of on-chain verification logic to make sure we're guaranteeing that those validators are provably posting data into the network and that in a way that we can tell and not we as Skip, but just we, the network can tell. And that can be, you know, provably or verifiably tied to incentives and disincentives. There's no sort of like arbitrary best effort mechanism that's at play here. It's fully codified within the actual operation of the chain. Okay, well, let's get in, we'll get into the, the technical aspects here of the architecture of Slinky and, and how this actually works. But first, I'd, I'd like to ask you like, what are, what are the use cases for this? I mean, obviously like I think Oracle um, price data is, is an, an obvious one. And like the Levana attack, I think, um, is a good example of, you know, how this, uh, how this, the Slinky could, could, uh, could improve, um, the security of, of chains, particularly those that have to provide price feed data, but what are some other use cases that, um, are being you know, researched and studied within Skip and perhaps with some of your partners? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we want to do one thing right first, which is posting prices. We had a thesis sort of spanning back to a year ago when we first saw the migration of DYDX to its V4 on Cosmos, that the Cosmos SDK would become like this premier place to sort of deploy specifically Perpetual's protocols. Reason for that is there's a lot of benefit for Perpetual's protocols to deploy on their own chain, to have their own L1 and their own validator set. Um, oftentimes they have needs for sort of certain block speed and certain kind of consensus mechanisms that can't be met by the existing infrastructures outside of Cosmos. And uh, they need to sort of like really be able to control their own Oracle in a way that just wasn't feasible on something like Ethereum, right? And they needed to sort of have very fresh price updates because that's how they competed with other Perpetuals protocols. So the first use case of Slinky, as, as is obvious, is like really nail down this self-owned 
extremely fast, what we call like Rolls Royce of oracles, like essentially the best, fastest, most secure, um, freshest oracle, uh, fresh, I mean like fresh price updates uh, for every, you know, perpetuals protocol that would want to move to Cosmos. In the future, uh, we sort of see the, the, the Slinky platform as, you know, generally something that we can build other things onto to make use of the same stake and to add more restaking use cases where validators can do more for their chain for more reward and then also, of course, more risk. So the big one there that we see is IBC relayers. Um, right now, the IBC relayer ecosystem is uh, pretty poorly put together. Uh, basically, relayers have to operate on shoestring budgets and are not very well paid and oftentimes go down as a result of that. I mean, you saw that very recently with the dimension attack. We've seen that obviously different cases with osmosis. We have this extremely vibrant and popular ecosystem now over IBC and this huge amount of volume that goes through it. I think it's roughly $3 billion a month, but we don't have the infrastructure to keep up with it. Yeah. The reality is like running an IBC relay requires two things, right? It requires, sorry, it requires essentially uh, two nodes on two different chains that have a channel together, right? And so every relayer has to replicate that infrastructure. The reality is all these IBC relayers are usually validators themselves. You can mm -hmm. run sidecar processes on the validators themselves to make this entire process extremely simple and have IBC relaying built into the chain operation. So we don't have to worry about relayers more generally. And then you can directly incentivize them to do that, right? So right now, like a lot of validators will say, hey, look, I'm relaying, trust me. Uh, and because I'm doing that, you should delegate to me because you know I'm doing it for charity. What yeah. if we could actually have that be built in a provable way into the validator where they can like show like, look, this is how many packets I relayed in addition to running consensus. Therefore, you know, delegate to me. Like foundations can see that obviously normal delegators can. It would be a great way to just sort of like show off all the other things you can do in a very verifiable way, as well as sort of like building on top of the existing Oracle use case. So that's all on the roadmap for Slinky. Uh, Price, prices first, and then after that, you know, we'll we'll start to experiment with what other things can validators do for these chains. I mean, I, I could also see this being utilized for um, for interoperability, right? Where you could have, let's say, for example, a contract on Ethereum. Tokens get locked in that contract. The validators are observing that contract and then initiating some uh, some other action on another chain, like unlocking tokens in a contract on. On a, on a cosmos chain for example and like the other way around i mean essentially this can be used in use cases that go far beyond you know sort of like oracle price feed data and and these sort of like you know use cases that are serving the application internally but sort of like look outwardly to other chains as well correct yeah i think so um so you're just to clarify you're saying basically you could use it to perhaps like achieve some kind of maybe more atomic or synchronous interoperability where you can like lock or have out of band commitments to lock things in one chain and perhaps like unlock them on the other or somehow right. coordinate them together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought about that super deeply, uh, but like one thing that's kind of crazy that you can do in the future with Slinky is this idea of like trust boost or like this like mega cosmos chain. Right, which we're not planning on building just as an FYI, but it's like a fun idea to think about. Basically what you could have is 
in the sidecar, validators could run an additional consensus client, right? And all the validators of, let's say, you know, Neutron, and then all the validators of, you know, uh, Juno, Verichain, etc., could essentially vote to, like, as part of a consensus client for this, like, mega chain that spans them all. And basically, that mega chain would have the security of all of the securities of the other chains combined. It would be a very slow chain because it would have to be essentially like the lower bound or the upper bound of like the additive block times of all of the, you know, child chains, but it would be extremely secure and be able to coordinate across the validator sets for all of them. I don't exactly know what you would be able to do on such a chain, uh, at least right now. I mean, I think you could do things like cross-chain slashing conditions or some kind of like super aggregated, you know, source of truth for something. So for example, yeah. you could host like a chain registry on there, um, but it would have like the, these tremendous security properties and be able to achieve something like, you know, 12 to $15 billion of security, which would be far beyond almost all other chains. That's interesting. Yeah, you, you could definitely pump a narrative around that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's cool. I mean, there, there's, there's lots of great thought experiments, I, I think, about um, how this can be used. So it's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Let's, let's talk about the architecture uh, and I'll, I'll refer my listeners to um, check out the link in the show notes to the article that um, uh, I believe one of your colleagues, uh, Marco, posted. Mark, yeah. To, He's uh, on our research team. Right, to, um, to the SKIP uh, research forum. It goes in depth here with all the math and uh, uh, on how this works and also gives a detailed explanation um, of the Lavana attack and how uh, SKIP could have prevented uh, this attack you know, had it existed and been implemented. Um, but yeah, let's at a high level uh, explore you know, the architecture and essentially how validators are coordinating on like a single source of truth. So there's definitely some technical context here, which maybe I'll try to do my best job of, you know, uh, giving a high level of, but essentially Slinky relies on two main innovations in the Cosmos SDK which I think I've talked about in the past and, you know, hopefully I've helped shed some light on this. The first one is ABCI++ and the second one is vote extensions. So ABCI++ is basically a new way of constructing blocks, right? So it used to be basically the proposer, right? One of the validators selected at random says, hey, other validators, this is my block. And then everyone else says, okay, like, fine, looks good. They basically check very basic things like, okay, is it like completely incorrect? Like, did you execute the state transitions correctly? Are you under the max gas limit? Things like that, right? Nothing more fancy. That changes a lot with ABCI++. Basically, there's a much more interactive process between validators and the proposer to verify that the block is correct. And so this was important to leverage these steps for Slinky where we need to essentially verify that Oracle operation is correct. So in this case, uh, the proposer will gather a bunch of data from the other validators via this thing called vote extensions, use that to formulate a final set of prices for the chain, and then that final set will be validated again by all the other validators. So essentially, when validators are voting to accept a new block, they're also voting that they agree with the new set of Oracle prices. So that's how you have the two-thirds security on consensus and also the two-thirds security on the correct Oracle operation. Just to go a little bit deeper into vote extensions, 
So the way that that works is when validators vote on a block, right, which is essentially their vote to say yes or no, they attach additional data that is also signed with their vote. So they're atomic, right? You can't accept the vote without the data and you can't accept the data without the vote. They're just one piece. So if you wanna move the network forward, you have to gather two thirds of those votes, which means you have to gather two thirds of those vote extensions. And inside those vote extensions are slinky prices, right? So like you sort of tie the two together in this atomic way where a chain won't move forward unless slinky is working, right? And that's just the way that it is. And so that's why it's like this in protocol or consensus based Oracle. This whole model is like completely different from all other oracles today. So almost every other oracle today essentially operates as a separate out of band external system, right? So, you know, here's Osmosis and here's Levana inside of it. Over here is Pith, right? It's a, a PithNet is a Solana based chain that does not have any relationship to Osmosis, except that there's some party that is in charge of transmitting those prices between them. Right, but those prices aren't baked into consensus by osmosis. They're not a necessary predicate to actually run consensus. So they may come or they may not come. In the case of the Levana attack, they didn't come, right? And so that sort of is what, what gets into the attack there. Basically what happened was the mempool on osmosis was so congested purposefully, it was a spam attack to prevent this update, which is in the form of a transaction from actually getting committed on the chain. And so basically what the attacker was able to do was like, I know what this Oracle update's gonna be, but I'm not gonna let it happen on osmosis. I'm just gonna hold it in my you know, purse for a second. And I'm gonna take out all of these long positions and essentially increase my position more and more and more. And then finally I'll let the Oracle update hit, but I already know what it's going to be. So like I have a deterministically profitable strategy to sort of like front run that Oracle update. And that's how they made all the money. And they did that a bunch of times over the course of 13 days in December. So because they were able to control when Oracle updates hit the chain effectively, they were able to drain Levana deterministically and destroy all the other traders because they had knowledge that nobody else did about when these Oracle updates are going to hit the chain. Slinky operates completely differently. Right? Like there's no decision of when the Oracle updates hits the chain. It's coded in consensus that if you have a new block, you definitely have the Oracle update at the top of that block. There's no way around it. It's a consensus rule. So in that situation, the attacker has no ability to modify anything. Like all the traders can know every single block, there's guaranteed going to be a price update at the top of the block. Okay, interesting. So when, when you say that um, the validators are putting their stake behind the the so so in vote extensions we we post additional data in the block and the stake of the validator is also um uh, essentially like slashable for this data but so i think there's a couple of things that here that bears um getting into is one is how do we achieve consensus around the price right so what is the mechanism or the sort of formula that uh, allows outliers to be uh, removed from the final price and you know from the perspective of slashing is is, is there additional slashing than what is currently implemented in cosmos uh, comment bft or is it just the sort of standard slashing that we know and because you know from what it seems like here is that there is 
because we're, using, we're because we're talking about pricing data, there's an opportunity for validators to potentially maliciously try to um, manipulate the price. And if the slashing conditions are not sufficient, like that, you know, depending on the trade or the attack, that it might be uh, more profitable to do the attack than to be slashed. So, um, yeah, sorry, that's a lot of questions, but I think they're sort of yeah. all tied into each other. Sure. Uh, so yeah, two questions in there. The first one I heard was, you know, how do we aggregate these prices, right? So, you know, let's say you have a, a, a network with a hundred different validators. They all post different prices and they're like, this is what I saw from my set of providers that I was using, right? How do you get to the final price that's posted on chain? Um, so there's two aggregation steps. The first one is on a per validator basis, right? So a valid, like one validator itself, when trying to get the price of, let's say, Ethereum in terms of USD, will query over 20 different providers to try to get that. So they'll first they'll query uh, Coinbase, then like CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, Mexi, Gate, Binance, and a, and a bunch Uniswap and a bunch of others, and then they will take the median across those that is provider weighted which means the network has the ability to weight certain providers a little bit larger than others, right? So for example, maybe Binance is weighted heavier than Gate, which is generally a much lower liquidity exchange than Binance. So then they take the median, the, the provider weighted median across those, and then they submit that to the network as their own individual validator price. Then the network looks at all of the validator prices that were aggregated that way, and then they take the stake weighted median across all of them. So uh, this has like a bunch of sort of intricate security properties, white stake weighted versus regular weighted. Um, but basically like we'll, we'll line them up such that 50% of stake is on one side of the price and 50% of stake is on the other side of the price. And then we take that median and then that's the final value that is potentially going to be encoded on the network. But then there's one final check, which is once that final value is selected, then two thirds of the validators have to once again say, okay, I like the price. And then it's finally encoded. So many different steps of aggregation to get the price that eventually lands on chain, but all of them have very subtle, uh, you know, uh, security properties that are provable and you know, that, that you can read more about in, in the article that we posted about Levana. Um, our research team had a lot of fun with that, obviously. And we think it's like sort of a, an extremely secure system that exactly replicates the security properties of the chain itself. So to go more into that and the, the slashing conditions around it and also the incentive conditions around it, um, we have two things that we're trying to avoid, right? Or Slinky is trying to essentially battle against two things happening. The first one is validators not running prices, right? So validators, you know, not contributing their prices to the network, but also still trying to sign blocks. This is considered to be like a bad event for Slinky because it reduces the overall security of the system. And then the yeah. second one, which is worse in our opinion is, and also for the Oracle network more generally, is if a validator posts an incorrect price, right? So a price that's completely out of line or malicious or otherwise, you know, not the correct price according to the network. So we have slashing mechanisms that address both. The first one we consider to be like an SLA essentially. So validators yeah. are on the hook for providing prices for a certain percentage of blocks, right? Um, so basically the way that that works is, you know, over a hundred blocks, let's say the SLA is 80%, 
then the validator is ex every validator is expected to post a update 80% of the time or 80 blocks out of every 100. And every block that they miss that rolling window SLA, they're slashed a small amount that is decided by the network. So, and that's proportional to the stake. So basically like we check every 100 blocks as we sort of move along blocks and we see like, okay, over those 100 blocks, did the validator meet the SLA or did they not? And if they didn't, there's like a small, tiny slash. It's very insignificant, but it scales, which means as you, as you progressively miss that SLA and as your SLA gets lower and lower, this slash increases linearly. The second method or the second slashing mechanism is a lot more serious, which is if you post an incorrect price. So yeah. we don't actually slash when one validator posts an incorrect price. The slashing takes place when there's enough validators to report an incorrect price such that the network overall attempts to publish an incorrect price. For this kind of you know, situation, which we consider to be sort of a doomsday situation, uh, we have something called the town crier model, which is very similar to, it's, it's completely based off of Chainlink's town crier system, which is how they do their slashing. In that situation, basically, you know, the network records this price, some permissionless actor on the network says, okay, that's wrong. Like that's just not what the price is in reality. And so they raise an alert to a higher level network that basically says, guys, the whole network reported an incorrect price. And you know, I'm willing to put money behind that. Like the alerter gets some bond to sort of like make this claim. And then if the concluder network, which is like a trusted set of actors, oftentimes a multi-sig or like a certain set of validators that is trusted, concludes that that was, an in, that was a correct alert, then all the validators that participated in that incorrect price are slashed and all the validators that were honest and the alerter himself or herself will be rewarded with that slash. And that's a much more, um, that's, a, that's a much larger slash, first of all, usually it's obviously all configured by the network but it's, it's also a much more serious situation. Okay, so just to recap that last part, because I think this is um, perhaps the more complex and, and also very interesting aspect to this. So we have mm -hmm. an, an off-chain actor that can watch the network and alert on um, a significant portion of the validators reporting a bad price. Now that alerter, um, that this town crier uh, would uh, alert a, a higher order network. So some trusted, right? Like some trusted group of participants. So it could be like the foundation multi-sig, for example, it could be a group of validators. It could be like some core developers. If that turns out to be the case, ultimately the decision rests upon this trusted group, or it could be like a single party, but this, this higher level, override, if you will, uh, to essentially slash the validators that were not reporting on accurate pricing. That's exactly right. Yeah, you got okay. it. Okay. Um, yeah. Doesn't that introduce some form of vulnerability here where, you know, they're, I mean, you know, assuming that, you know, we trust this, this higher level actor, um, I mean, there is a risk of compromise here, isn't, isn't there? Yeah, there's always a risk of compromise. Um, so first of all, this system has never been used on Chainlink, right? Meaning it, it's, an, it, it's developed and it is actually functional and ready to be used, but it's never actually got, gotten to the point where like an alert has been issued, accepted, and then everyone's been slashed. 
so it's really sort of to to prevent these like doomsday situations it's like the final kill switch so it's not something that's like regularly going to happen mm. um yeah or if it does then the it's nuclear like, option it's a bad system exactly it's a nuclear <laughs> option that's how we see it and so nuclear options as we know are not designed to be used but they're designed to disincentivize because if they are used then the outcome for the people who were involved in triggering it is devastating right um so in this case like you know, all the validators that, and this would only really be the case if like validators were coordinated and malicious, those validators would be punished heavily. It is possible that of course the, you know, tertiary network could be compromised, but we're generally not involved obviously in sort of the creation of that tertiary network. It could be a completely separate chain, right? So you could have a chain that acts as this tertiary network. Perhaps you designate, you know, the Cosmos hub itself to be the tertiary network, or you designate osmosis or you designate you know, an eigenlayer AVS to be this tertiary network. It can be any mm. signer set that you trust and that perhaps has higher security or higher honesty or at least not like aligned incentives with your own. Some credible and, neutrality is, is, I mean, you want to yeah. sort of tend towards credible neutrality with this this, this yeah. Uh, network. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so, you know, they're generally going to not be involved in the network, but then in the off situation, they receive an alert they will sort of like do their best effort evaluation of what the real price was at that time using the expected providers and the expected pairs that that network was using to judge like, okay, was this really maliciousness, right? And, uh, you know, they would be free to sort of issue that decree. Okay, so the trust assumptions by and large are we trust the network of validators that are securing the chain to provide accurate price feed data. Um, should those should validators uh, either collude or be in a situation where they're providing bad data, uh, we fall back on some tertiary network uh, that will end up like splitting and making the decision. Um, yeah, maybe that could be a usage uh, actually now that I think about it for mega chain that I was referring to earlier. Yeah, there you go. I mean, <laughs> there, there's the <laughs> mega chain use case, you know, the mega chain. <laughs> Uh, has the final the final word on everything i want to i want to maybe switch gears a little bit here so we, we talked about how the levana attack happened and how the attacker was able to manipulate manipulate the chain by withholding essentially the price um on the chain what other kinds of vulnerabilities does slinky protect against you know other forms of attacks on you know DeFi and perpetuals markets generally? Sure. I mean, the, the, the ways that oracles fail um, are usually pretty predictable. So the first one is they don't have good sets of primary data, right? So the, the places by which, from which they pull in prices are unreliable uh, in the case of failure. And in the case of like a catastrophic event, like the FTX collapse, too many of those providers go down such that the network starts to report incorrect prices on chain, right? So this is one place where Chainlink has shown, right, over the years. Basically, they have this extremely high quality set of providers and they have enough diversity in their node operators such that even when a lot of other oracles will fail given their price data, they stay live uh, and they still re report incorrect prices. This has not always been the case. I mean, there have been failures at Chainlink, but generally the reputation with Chainlink, and I think it's well-deserved, is that they have very excellent data collection. So 
this is one you know area where if you get that wrong, nothing else really matters. So I mean, we, we've done obviously our best effort to you know find the highest quality data providers that we can. Unlike other oracles, we've implemented all those connections over WebSocket, which means we're able to pull a vast, uh, a vastly higher amount of prices on a much more frequent cadence under with a more reliable connection than the APIs, which are more generally used, which was additional work of course on our side. And then also we have the ability for to support any provider that a chain wishes. So for example, if a chain is uncomfortable with the security assumptions around using, let's say, Binance and Coinbase, they can use either their own APIs or they can implement you know, their own adapters if they wish as like fallbacks for all of those different ones that we normally implement. So it's very configurable, right? We have this huge menu option to select from, but then you can order things on the side, right? But, but validators generally, I mean, validators that are providing price feed data, they're setting up their own infrastructure to get that price feed data, right? I mean, like validators are not relying upon like skips software or infrastructure to plug into, I mean, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is right, like we want to have validators uh, independently choosing their price feeds um, so that we have a, the, the most diverse price feed uh, set possible and not having say like one company or like a software sort of de um, uh, dictating which prices or, or you know, strongly suggesting by convention which prices they should be pulling from, right? Like, Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Um, so we do provide the sidecar software. Right. Otherwise, like, I don't think this would happen, right? Like validators figuring out how to build a system to query and aggregate all of these different mechanisms would be probably too high for 99% for of them. And so we do build this super sidecar software that basically is modular to the degree that you can plug in what providers you want to use. And that yeah. is decidable and fully configurable at a validator by, on a validator by validator basis. Right, so we have, like I said before, like this menu that they can choose from. And the chain might suggest like, hey, we, we at least want you guys to run Binance or these other places, just so that you know uh, we can have like some level of quality here. But then there's complete optionality for the validators to add whatever feeds they want, right? And the chain can sort of ask like, hey, I want you guys to run this set, I want you guys to run this set, and I want you guys to run this other set, just so that there is some diversity in the network. So the chain can decide and the chain can have some level of oversight over which because like like one one example would be most validators are getting prices from Coinbase, CoinGecko and, and Binance. That probably would not be desirable then. Uh, but but it's it would be best practice for the chain to impose on the validators which price feed uh, they should be reporting from in order to have a more diverse set. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't impose necessarily. Okay. Like, I mean, you can strongly suggest is to use your word from earlier. Um, and you, you can recommend that validators do this and you can make it easy for them, right? Because usually validators have no disincentive to do the right thing, especially when you make it very simple for them to do so. So you, you say like, hey, just you should use this config. Basically, it runs, you know, provider A, B, and C. And then you give to someone else something that runs D, E, and F, right? So that generally we believe in like making things easy for validators and then you know usually they'll try their they'll do their best effort to do the right thing um i think more often what what happens when you you know 
get basically like try to force validators to this position where they're making a lot of independent chain specific choices that require a lot of thought and oversight is they have a tough time keeping up with it. So this is what we've seen with like the Kujira Oracle, which I think has had over $300,000 slashed uh, from uh, Oracle operation mishaps, where basically validators didn't feel like they could keep up with the amount of currency pairs that were being added and they didn't have the required amount of support for their sidecar. Um, and so we wanna avoid that from happening while also giving validators the independence that they have to sort of choose different providers and then be able to sort of like, you know, uh, market themselves on that platform being like, Hey, I run these really great providers that are in addition to the ones already suggested by the network. You know, I should be rewarded for that, or I should get more delegation for that. And that goes back to the normal sort of social delegation system and reputation system that we have in Cosmos. And I assume foundations will acknowledge that. For example, just quickly on that, like, you know, uh, to shout out one validator specific Rhino stake, he's been, Eric's been a, uh, a chain link operator for many years, right? And so he has all of these incredible subscriptions to these like very high powered and very excellent uh, provider, uh, provider subscriptions. And so he wants to incorporate those in his nodes when he's running Slinky uh, and hopefully be able to sort of like sell that to the network and say like, I'm providing even better prices than what you're asking me to do. Okay, interesting. And how much can chains save by implementing their own built-in Oracle. I mean, of course, validators should be remunerated to do this work, right? So like, does, does, does it work out in the chain's favor uh, to use their own Oracle, even if they have to pay their validators to do that versus using Pith or Chainlink or some other Oracle? Yeah, so to give my best understanding of what these other places charge, um, Pith, I believe, is something like $500,000 in native tokens for an integration uh, that's paid by the chain or the foundation or some kind of token holder. And then you have to pay in, for bo in both Pith and Chainlink for, on a per update basis, right? So the last I chatted to Mars, they said that they were paying $1,000 a day from their own protocol funds to sort of get these updates across all of their different deployments. Obviously a lot of money and chains who want Chainlink have to implement or have to pay a lot more. From what I understand, usually that price tag is closer to two to $3 million. And then you also have to pay in Link per update, right? Yeah. So it's sort of like this massive upfront charge plus sort of like a lot of additional charges and tokens that don't even correlate to your own chain. Yeah. So one of the nice things about having an in-protocol Oracle is there's no other token involved, right? There's no token network that is not aligned with your own that you're trying to enrich or on the line for enriching. So all the Oracle operations is essentially funded by your own security, which you're already paying for with inflation. The structure that we are suggesting to chains for compensating Slinky, both the skip team and then also the validators that run it is some kind of share of the security that is run on top of Slinky so that it scales proportionally with the amount of danger and the amount of operational excellence required to run Slinky on that chain. So this could look basically be in, in, in various forms. Uh, it could be a percentage of inflation. So maybe you sort of earmark 1% of inflation that sort of goes you know, some kind of split between Skip uh, and its operations team and the validators that are running Slinky itself, or it could be a percentage of trading fees. 
right? So for example, as trading fees grow, Slinky uh, becomes more and more important. It has many more currency pairs. It becomes a bigger operation on that chain. And so the percentage of trading fees would obviously also grow. And so you could split that between the two parties involved as well. Um, I think that's much more preferred than sort of this like massive multi-million dollar upfront cost. One, because it's easier on chains, right? They're, they're sort of like, okay, like we can start this. And also it has like a growth narrative where it's like, okay, you know, there's a bet that the validators and skip are taking on the chain. Um, and of course, like if that bet turns out to be correct, they're going to be rewarded, right? And if it turns out to be incorrect, then there's no reward. And we like that model in general in terms of how we do business overall. Cool. So how does this, because so far we've talked about chains that have validator sets, i.e. app chains. How does this fit in the modular stack and the modular narrative and how would rollups or rollaps um, leveraging some other form of you know, rented security be able to leverage this tech for their own applications? So it's like a very complicated question. Um, like that's when we're talking about sort of like all the different architectures that are on Celestia. Um, I guess like one architecture to talk about is based rollups, right? Where basically the data is being posted directly to Celestia in the order that transactions should, should be sequenced. The other model to talk about are like, let's say dimension rollups, where there's some kind of settlement layer that sits in between, you know, the rollup and Celestia that manages a lot of things for them, like IBC relaying and settlement, et cetera. How Slinky would operate on, and, and the final model that I think is worth discussing is are the shared sequencers. Right, so like Astria, for example. I think Slinky would operate a little bit differently on all of these. So in the case of a based rollup, right, where it's basically like there's there's not Dimension, there's not, you know, Astria, there's just sort of like this standalone rollup that is deployed on top of Celestia, you need some kind of um, operator of Slinky that you trust in that situation. The ideal situation is it's run by the Celestia validator set itself. Then you have the gold standard of like a secure Oracle operation that could, that could power all of these different rollups. Um, in absence of that, you need to sort of set up your own out of band validator set or operator that you trust. So it could either be run on a centralized sequencer. So for example, Rollkit right now only supports centralized sequencers. And so you're trusting that sequencer to sequencer transactions, but you could also trust that sequencer to execute Oracle updates and run the Slinky sidecar. The more uh, decentralized approach to that is to have like a validator set that you trust or a set of node operators that you trust with some kind of stake. Maybe it's POA, maybe it's POS that will run Slinky just for your chain and sort of have some kind of uh, verified connection between them such that it would, your rollup would receive those updates. And then in your on-chain sequencing rules, you guarantee that, that those updates are, are being included. So if this tertiary network goes down or this you know, trusted network goes down that's providing your price updates, your rollup doesn't actually commit blocks. And that's how you but get that, the same does, sort does of that like, make economic sense though? Because like if you're, I mean, maybe, I guess it, it all depends on the application and the business model, but like if, if you're a rollup, um, you know, let's assume there's like thousands of rollups. Many of those rollups are probably like, you know, not meant to have their own validator set for economic reasons. Cause like running your own validator set costs um, is expensive. Now, mm -hmm. if, they're choosing the rollup route or the rollup route, um, you know, as as a as a cost-effective way to run chain. And now we're asking them to have their own validator set uh, for for the price updates. I mean, wouldn't they just you know also use that validator set to become a sovereign chain? 
um, sort of negating the entire idea of becoming a roll-up? I mean, it's sort of like a circular thing, right? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. That's the point. Um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so basically, like, that would be the design, right? The only way that this design might make sense is if that validator set that's, like, actually posting the prices is shared among thousands of roll-ups such that all of them are looking at it for sort of Oracle prices and it scales linearly with the number of rollups, yeah. right? Oh, sorry, it scales, you know, less than linearly with, with the number of rollups. That's the only place where like sort of a based version of Slinky uh, really makes sense. Where I think yeah. it makes a lot more sense. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, but I mean like what, what I think might end up happening is that, you know, Slinky may end up... Be- like there, there may end up being like a slinky chain. And mm-hmm. even though the validators of this chain are not, you know, intrinsically aligned with the chains that are going to be using that data, um, the fact that we can use uh, slinky price updates, uh, have slinky price updates over IBC, which is itself like a trust minimized uh, bridging protocol and sort of is embedded within Cosmos might be like, a middle ground to providing um, a, a scalable way to provide price updates for lots of chains. Because like, think about it. <clears throat> if you have, say, a validator like uh, like Course One, uh, shout out to Course One, that is providing, that is, is validating many chains and they're, provide, they're, they're running Slinky on lots of different chains and providing essentially the same pricing data across those chains, like the price of Bitcoin mm-hmm. or the price of ETH or whatever then wouldn't they have then an, an, an incentive to just um, get together with other validators that are doing the same thing and form a network uh, that can be sort of generalized for the entire you know, Cosmos SDK slash IBC ecosystem? It's a great question and one that we've chatted about a lot internally. I think there's a couple things here, which is when you build Slinky as a chain, and then you use IBC to do the uh, Oracle updates for a bunch of other chains, you've essentially replicated PIP, right? Because then you have sort of a similar model whereby the IBC updates are in the form of transactions on the chain that you're trying to update. And so now you have a lot of this, the same you know, attack vectors that something like PIP and something like Chainlink has, right? Yeah. And the only way to avoid those is when it's built into your validator set. So when we say like we're building Slinky to be the Rolls Royce of oracles, there's some major trade-offs to building a Rolls Royce. It's very expensive, right? Meaning uh, it requires something that's very expensive for us, meaning it requires a very custom integration to that chain's validator set. And it is, you know, requires a lot of operation and high performance. So we can't replicate this model for 100 chains, which is why we're being very selective about our first set of partners. And we're likely to only support those set of partners for the first year of operation. Because, you know, you can't make a lot of Rolls Royces. You just can't scale that operation because, you know, the leather is too expensive and stuff like that. Um, And we're okay with that. Like we want there to be this, we want this Oracle to exist for the top, you know, best chains that we want to develop relationships with, or at least extend our current relationships with. As soon as you get into the, the world of, okay, how do we scale this to like a thousand chains or 10,000 chains or 10,000 rollups, you have to start to make compromises, right? So the, 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 the idea that you have is a great one, right? Basically, you could run this as sort of its own sovereign chain, 
maybe with a collection of validators set, uh, validators from all the other chains. So it's a, some kind of quorum of uh, stake that you already trust. And then maybe you could have cross-chain slashing conditions across all of these different chains, which means if you run prices on Slinky, not only is your Slinky, Slinky stake uh, at you know risk of being slashed, but also your stake on the networks where those prices are going, right? So now you're going back to sort of this like mesh secure restaking system, which actually would have very good security properties and would be a meaningful differentiator from something like PIP, right? So for example, if you knew that PIP had Chorus 1 and PIP had Polkachu and all your favorite validators, and you knew that they could be slashed if they posted the incorrect price to your chain, you probably trust it more. But the fact that it's a bunch of Solana validators that you don't know and that you know are servicing thousands of other networks at the same time and won't really be, have any punishment if they post an incorrect price, uh, like at least a, like something that you, a, a, a punishment that you can influence, you don't really trust it as much as like, let's say something that sort of shares your same security assumptions. Hmm. Um, yeah. When scaling to a bunch of rollups, Sort of, I mentioned this sort of like based idea where you could have a chain that you know has IBC that connects to all of these. I think the better opportunity there is actually to integrate with these settlement hubs or these shared sequencers that already have these relationships with the rollups built on top of them, right? So, for example, Slinky could easily be built into the existing validator set for Dimension or the existing validator set for Astria, and then it could be made natively available for all the rollups that are using those for sequencing for uh, settlement and for you know whatever else they need and so there there you have a much tighter connection and you already have a platform for which to deploy slinky in its rolls-royce model okay no i mean this is uh, this is all very interesting and I'm, I'm very curious to see how things will will play out here you know when uh jonathan was on the podcast like, well, a couple of weeks ago uh, from lavana to sort of recap you know the whole attack and everything you know, we, we we talked about this very thing we 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 did explore the idea of having like an on-chain oracle uh, to prevent the you know the attack that um resulted in one over a million dollars in, in, in value being extracted and his response was and i'm paraphrasing here but the, the response was essentially uh, um that uh, at least for them it probably wasn't viable because it wouldn't scale like if levana which stands for leverage any asset really wants to have any asset and be a permissionless place where people can launch new perpetuals markets and potentially you have price feeds for just anything you know for the price of rice or you know the price of some option in some you know obscure market um that it would be too much of a burden and, and a technical lift on validators to provide all that price feed data mm -hmm. so when when it comes to scaling when you get to that sort of size, and also Levana doesn't have its own validator set, it relies on Ethereum on, mm -hmm. on Osmosis as a, as an application on Osmosis. You know, it's sort of limited here because it one has to rely on an underlying network, and two probably you know has in its vision at least too many uh, too many assets for this to scale. So, you know, is there a type of customer that just isn't well suited for this, or does? does the Slinky effectively, you know, scale to you know, thousands of assets if, if necessary? So, yeah, a couple things on this. Um, the first thing is like maybe to just back up and understand like the, the context in which we built Slinky in. Like what was the moment at Skip where we were like, this is what we want to build and this is why we want to build it. The original inspiration was DYDX, 
So we saw this, you know, very exciting, um, awesome team come to uh, Cosmos. And their stated goal, or one of their stated goals in launching their V4, was to launch permissionless markets, right? And to have, I think Antonio's posted 500 markets by the end of the year, or at least over some time frame, but eventually to 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, 100,000 markets, right? Most perpetual, I think the, the, the highest number of perpetual protocol, uh, of markets on a perpetual protocol that I've seen has been roughly around the order of 100. So these are all crazy numbers to even think about. Um, Synky was built with that in mind because we, we wanted to support that use case and we thought it was exciting, right? What does it look like to have an Oracle secured by your chain, not only by the stake, but also by the governance set, which means the governance set can actually vote in new price pairs and have them added instantly, right? And so that's how Slinky operates. Basically governance or, you know, there's a permissionless process to add any asset to Slinky and Slinky can itself, like under very extensive load tests that we've already made and can publish, uh, can scale to about 2000 currency pairs right now. That required a lot of optimization of the layer of Comet BFT. It also required a tremendous amount of optimization on the layer of Slinky itself and how the data gets encoded into vote extensions. And uh, you know we had, I would say, a, a relatively large hand in helping get vote extensions out the door by doing a lot of bug fixing and a lot of testing uh, to make sure that it could support this. So for any chain that you know wants to scale to 2000 or any protocol that wants to scale to 2000 currency pairs, Slinky can do it. It's, it it can't, like it just literally can do it. And also those currency pairs can be added same day. And what I mean by that is there's, you know, various different processes that the chain can implement. It could either be governance, which is obviously not same day, uh, or it could be sort of a more like admin based account, or it could be another model that we have that we're sort of chatting about uh, DYDX with, which is more called the Oracle of Oracles that can allow sort of a set of permissioned actors uh, be in charge of sort of like constantly adding these assets with user input. Nine times out of 10, or actually more like 99% of the time, they can just instantly be added to the validators without any configuration changes because they can just be pulled from an existing set of providers that the validator has or some kind of subset of them. Sometimes you might need a completely new provider, right? So if you want to pull in the price of, or let's say you want to pull in like sports betting data from your own little private application that you're running, uh, you will need to sort of like implement a new provider to actually do that on the validators, in which case like price addition takes more like a week. These are in comparison to sort of like, you know, existing oracles, which take multiple months and are sort of coordinated with a fully out of band set and shared among a bunch of other stakeholders that you don't control or that don't have any interest in sharing incentives with you to coordinate like these very long processes of adding currency pairs that can take on the order of months or years, right? So the whole process is a lot faster. That is all to say, you know, Slinky was built to support permissionless markets from day zero. Um, and so we've done a ton of work to make that possible. Very cool. Um, listen, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been fascinating chatting once again uh, and discovering all the really cool stuff that Skip is doing. And um, yeah, I'm sure you'll be back on in six months to <laughs> You'll give us an update on something new that, that Skip's built. But until then, um, yeah, where can people uh, learn more about this and, you know, perhaps 
uh, also integrate it within their own chains and applications. To learn more about Skip, you can visit our Twitter page or our website. So our Twitter page is Skip Protocol altogether, two piece. And uh, the uh, website is skip.money. Um, also, feel free to contact me personally. I'm Magmar100 on Telegram. And then also my Twitter handle is OXMagmar, like the Pokemon. And uh, yeah, look forward to chatting or learning, helping you learn more. Thank you.